0: Good morning. I want to wish everybody a happy new year. It is such a privilege to be able to stand up here and share God's word with you. The title of the sermon this morning is Knowing God. Uh, The main verse that I'm going to reference a few times is John chapter 17 verse 3. Let me go ahead and uh, pray again real quick to seek the Lord's help. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of being able to speak your word and For those here to hear your word, pray that your spirit would move and work and use your word to accomplish your will amongst your people. Please be with me and may this be clear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'd like to begin with a few questions this morning. What is the purpose of scripture? Why do we have the Bible? What is it for? Throughout the United States, and this seems to be more recently, um, the last 10, 20 years, a lot of people look at the Bible as a self-help book. If you worry and are anxious, the Bible will help. If you're having problems with your marriage or your kids, the Bible will help. The Bible has all the answers to all of your problems. Now, did God just give us the Bible so that we would use it as a self-help book? I submit to you that the primary purpose of Scripture is to reveal to us who God is so that we might know him And so that we might be able to come into a right relationship with him. For sure, the Bible contains a lot of things that we face every day. But that is secondary. As the saying goes, don't put the cart before the horse. The horse that pulls the cart is knowing God. The cart that follows is how the Bible impacts and changes our lives. So the point is... The Bible is about knowing God. It's about knowing him before anything else. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. And if you are able, would you please stand for this reading of God's word? I'm going to read from verses 1 through 8, beginning in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were. And you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Praise be to God for his word. You may be seated. So notice in verse 3, eternal life is knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ. I want you to think of this verse in two ways. First, it is how we begin eternal life. And second, it is how we live out eternal life. In other words, we receive eternal life when we first come to know Jesus when we first put our trust in him. And then we live out eternal life by growing in our knowledge of him. So eternal life from beginning and all the way through eternity is all about knowing God. I like how John MacArthur puts it. Eternal life refers to a quality of life and not just a quantity of life. It is much more than living forever. It is enjoying intimate fellowship with God both now and forever. Again, John 17.3 says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So this morning, I want to flush this out a bit. Let's consider knowing God. How do we know Him? Where do we begin? I've organized my thoughts on this subject into four headings. First heading is The Bible is God's special revelation to us of who God is. The second is the need for faith in Christ. Third, The pursuit of knowing God. And fourth, the believer's continual growing affection for God. So let's consider the first main heading. The Bible is God's special revelation to us of who God is. Here we're going to dig a bit deeper as to why the Bible was given to us. So let's define some words here. I use the word revelation when we speak of special revelation, what does this word revelation mean? Well, the word revelation means that something about God is made known to us. We learn things about God through what is revealed to us. Things we would not know if they weren't revealed to us. Now, there are two types of revelation that, God, that reveal God to us. There is what is called general revelation, and second, there is special revelation. So what is general revelation? General revelation refers to anything in our entire universe that shows us something about the very God who created it. Sometimes this is called nature or natural revelation because God is revealed to us in nature. I'm going to read to you Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 through 2. Um, this is one of those verses. I'm going to, there's going to be several of them that I'm going to give them to you quickly. So if you want to turn there, you can try. Or if you just want to jot it down and look up later, that's fine as well. But most important, if you can listen and hear, that is good. So Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 through 2. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of God. You know, we've had a lot of rain lately. And on a clear day, the mountains look beautiful with all the snow. They declare to us the glory of God. They they declare to us how wonderful our creator is. So general revelation shows us things about the God who created us. On the other hand, special revelation is what the Bible tells us about God. You mean there's a difference between These revelations about God, yes, there is a difference. Everybody in the whole world is confronted by general revelation. It's all around us all the time. In fact, general revelation shouts at us every day. It waves at us. It tries to get our attention saying, there is a God who created everything. On the other hand, Special revelation is special because what it tells us about God is unique. You can't get it anywhere else. You can only get it from the Bible. What the Bible says about God cannot be found anywhere else on earth. So the Bible is God's special revelation of himself to humanity. Now let me give you a few quick differences between general revelation and special revelation. First, general revelation is available to everyone all the time, whereas special revelation is limited to those who hear and read the Bible. Second, general revelation is about information to know about God. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't say that right. Let me re- say that correctly. <laughs> General revelation is enough information. To know about God. But not enough to be brought into a right relationship with God. Special revelation on the other hand. Shows us who God really is. A third difference. General revelation is enough information about God so that everyone in the world can be held accountable to God. But it isn't enough to save anyone. It cannot save anyone from God's coming judgment. And this is perhaps the most important way that special revelation is different from general revelation. Special revelation has everything we need to know about how we can be saved and forgiven and brought into a right relationship with God. Now, a quick question to see if you're, if you're listening, if you're following me. Which revelation is the Bible? Is it general or is it special? I heard somebody yell out special. Good. That's the correct answer. The Bible is the special revelation of God given to us. It alone reveals to us who God really is and how we can know him and be in a right relationship with him. That's why the Bible is so important. This is why we need the Bible. You see, without the truth that is revealed to us in the Bible, we cannot know God, we cannot be forgiven or come into a right relationship with him. So the Bible is God's special revelation to us of who God is and what is required to be in a right relationship with him. This leads us to the second heading this morning, the need for faith in Christ. You see, you cannot know God without Jesus. And knowing God, that is the goal of every Christian Remember the scripture we started out with, John seventeen three, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So how do we even begin to try to know this God? So this is my point. We consult the very book that God has given us to know him to see who he is, because this question can only be answered by the Bible. So let's see what the Bible says to us about getting to know this God. First, the Bible tells us that there is a problem, a very, very big problem. It's called sin. You see we've all done wrong things against the very God who created us. That's what the bible tells us in romans three twenty three this verse includes everyone when it says, "For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." and our ser- excuse me and our sin is first against God, as david admits in psalm fifty one he says Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. And our sin has separated us from God, Isaiah 59.2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. So it's bad. It's like we are all on a ship out in the middle of the ocean... And it's slowly taking in water. Eventually, it's going down. And you with it. And there is not one thing that you can do about it. So the problem gets worse. And the Bible further tells us that our, what our sin deserves. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death. What are wages? It's what we deserve for the work we do. God's word says that our wages for our sin is death. And the Bible calls this death, it calls it outer darkness, hell, weeping and gnashing of teeth it calls it eternal torment in the lake of fire and according to god's word this is what we deserve but instead of giving us this kind of judgment he provided a savior instead you know god could have easily chose to cut his losses and been done with the human race But he graciously chose to send his son to save us instead. In the book of Romans chapter 5 verses 6 through 8 it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God chose his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God didn't wait for us to make ourselves better. He took initiative to rescue us. This is absolutely amazing. Amazing. The extent of God's love is far reaching. He goes to the point of sending his own son, whom he loves. Sending his own son to die for a bunch of unworthy sinners, such as ourselves. I couldn't do that, but he did. And by the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, God has reconciled us to himself. Okay, I just used a big word there, reconciled. What does reconciliation mean? It means two parties who have a broken relationship, the two parties are brought back into a right relationship. You see, our sin has created great offense against God. But Jesus satisfied God's justice when he died and when he rose from the dead. And that allows us to be forgiven and brought into a right relationship with God. This is reconciliation to God. Romans chapter 5 verse 10 says for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life 2 Corinthians 5:18 says all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation And so these scriptures tell us that we are reconciled to God through faith in Christ. We are made right with him when we put our trust in Christ. Again, to sum up this point, in order for us to know God, we first need to have faith in the Lord Jesus. The Bible which is God's special revelation to us it tells us that if we are going to know God we must first believe in Jesus so that our sins are forgiven and so that we are brought into a right relationship with God The third heading now the pursuit of knowing God the pursuit of knowing God So let me ask you, what do you pursue in life? What consumes your time and your thoughts? Remember John 17, 3 again, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. No other pursuit in life matters compared to knowing God. And we are just beginning the new year. Perhaps seeking to know God would be a better New Year's resolution than many of the other things that are often chosen. Now, I'd like to direct your attention to Hebrews chapter 1, which was read during the scripture reading. This is one that I would like you to turn to. Hebrews chapter 1. I like hearing the pages flip to the, to the passage. It's always a joy to my heart. Hebrews chapter 1. My goal here is to, to point... Out one of the most important ways we, we get to know God. And that is, we get to know God by getting to know our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we will grow in our knowledge, our knowledge of God as we grow in our knowledge of Jesus. So Hebrews chapter one, verses one through two says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heirs of all things, through whom also he created the world. So these few verses, they tell us, in the scope of redemptive history, that when Jesus came, God revealed himself to us through Christ his Son. Let's read verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The statements in, the, in this verse, they are a powerful way of helping us understand why Jesus is able to reveal God to us in such a powerful way. And we're going to focus on the, the first three statements of that verse. So the first statement says that Jesus radiates the very glory of God. Who else does this? Moses, when he went on the mountain and came down to the people, he reflected the glory of God. But Jesus radiates it. Why? Because of the fact that He, Jesus, is also God and he shares in the Father's glory. That's why he radiates it. Notice the next uh, phrase says of Jesus that he is the exact imprint of his nature. The very nature of God Is displayed. In Jesus. And verse. Three also. Adds the next phrase is that. Jesus upholds. The universe. By his word. His powerful. Word. This is mind boggling. To say the least. This is what God does. Upholding the universe, by his powerful word. And this is what Jesus does. So the point is, do you want to get to know who God really is? Get to know Jesus. If you would turn with me to John chapter 14. This is just a powerful way in Jesus' own words of saying this the same thing John chapter 14 I'm going to be looking at verses 7 through 9 John 14 verse 7 If you had known me and Jesus is speaking here if you had known me you would have known my father also from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been, you? Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So again, the point is, as you pursue knowing God, you must also pursue knowing our Lord Jesus, because you will grow in your knowledge of God as you grow in your knowledge of Jesus. Now, there's a lot to be said about pursuing the knowledge of God. Um, and and I'm not going to try to cover everything, um, by any means. But there is one topic I want to briefly touch on. With regards to trials and suffering, these are things that we all face, and will face in this fallen world. Trials and suffering. I don't know if you realize this or not, but when we suffer and when we go through trials, we grow, we grow in our knowledge of God. Because of scriptures, um, like in the first chapter of James, I believe that we can, we can say that trials and suffering I'm sorry, my, my, my mind just took a tangent, so I'm going to bring it back. <laughs> okay. I believe that we can say that if we submit to trials and suffering and we seek to learn what God has for us, then we will certainly grow in our knowledge of God. So don't fight against the trials. Embrace them and seek to know God through them. Now, continuing with this heading, the pursuit of knowing God, I'd like to share with you a few things that I do. A few things that I do in pursuing knowing God. So, one thing I, I do that may seem to some of you to be very basic is I read the Bible every day, every morning. That has been my routine since I was a child, thanks to the training of my mother. I think it started when I was around 10, 10 years old. Now, this morning devotion time has been perhaps one of the most impactful things in my growth in knowing God. Now, some people function best when they have a Bible reading plan, and that can be really good. In fact, Amy and I just started doing a Bible reading plan together last year, and we're doing that again this year. I love it because I love doing this this Bible reading plan together with her because uh, it does allow for more free-flowing conversations about the Bible together because we're reading the same scriptures. And so this has been a real blessing so far. Another thing I do... In pursuing knowing God. I like to underline things. And I use a flat edge like this little ruler. To underline things. And I underline things that impact me. And things that show me who God is. And so sometimes they're both together. Because things that show me about God really impact me. So, I'm going to give you an example of this, what I do in underlining um, this. And, and by the way, sometimes, actually a lot of times when I start prayer, I look for things I underlined, So I can start with adoration, things that tell me about God. Um, so, Isaiah 66, so if you want to turn there, I can show you, show you my thought process when I, when I underline I hope this is helpful to you. If it's not, then it's okay. Isaiah 66, in the beginning, he says, and I, I just read this a few days ago, says, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. So I was thinking, heaven is, is big and yet it's God's throne? And he kicks up his feet on earth. So I'm imagining how great and powerful, mighty God is that his presence would be so big. So I underline this. Continue, continuing on, what is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? Verse 2 All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to P, declares the Lord. I underline that too because it speaks of God creating everything and orchestrating all these things that have come to be. Continuing on. But this is the one whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And I'm thinking, I want to be the person whom he looks upon with loving eyes, eyes of approval, <laughs> So I want to be humble and contrite in spirit, like in the beatitude that says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit." I want to be one who trembles at His word. So I, I underlined that because it impacts me. So that's the example I wanted to share with you. So these are a few things that I do in pursuing knowing God. I do want to say that what I do in my personal devotions, that that isn't to minimize in any way the ministry of the church or fellowship with other believers. Church is necessary in knowing God. Okay? We we must be a part of the body of Christ if we're going to know God. But suffice it to say... If you incorporate personal Bible reading on a daily basis over a long period of time that will cause you to grow in the knowledge of God by leaps and bounds. So let me encourage you um, let my encouragement be to you in this way pursue knowing God and make it a priority in your life. Every day. Fourth and final heading. The believer's continual growing affection for God. The believer's continual growing affection for God. You see, the more we know God the more we should grow in our love and affection for him. The more it should move our hearts to worship and adore God. It should move us emotionally. We should feel something inside. Knowing God is not merely a mental exercise, no. It's a knowledge of God that stirs warm affections in our hearts back to God let me share a few examples from the Psalms and I'm going to read through these quickly so please listen listen for the emotion that these verses are invoking in our hearts Psalm chapter 2 verse 11 serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling Psalm 511 but let all who take refuge in Refuge in you, rejoice, let them ever sing for joy, and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you psalm thirty one twenty three love the Lord, all you his saints psalm thirty three one shout for joy to the Lord, O you righteous. Psalm 42, 1 through 2. As a deer pants for the flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Do you see and feel how these verses are calling you for a response? A response that includes your whole being, which includes our emotions. Now, with regards to emotions, uh, there are are three extremes to avoid. And some of, well, a lot of you may understand some of these extremes based on the different churches and um, people you've encountered. So I hope this will be uh, a help, maybe put some boundaries on, on what I'm saying with regards to emotions. The first extreme that you need to avoid is not having any emotion at all. Not having any affection in our hearts toward God. So what kind of heart has no emotion toward God? A cold, lifeless heart. This is a heart that doesn't love God. It is cold, And lifeless. Let me give a few things that contribute to this kind of emotionless heart. Never submitting to Christ. Having an unwilling heart to make choices, any choices that please the Lord. Having a heart that refuses to love your wife or to love your husband. A heart that refuses to love other believers. Another thing that contributes to an emotionless heart is if your goal is simply to gain an intellectual knowledge of God. Just head knowledge. And yet you have no desire to want to be close to him. So again, this extreme to avoid is not having any emotion at all toward God. The second extreme to avoid is anger and bitterness toward God. So you may not be void of emotion, toward God but if the emotion you do have is anger at God that's not a good place to be if you are in that place I exhort you seek the Lord in prayer and worship and confess your anger to him and he will graciously mercifully and patiently love you as you seek him in the midst of your anger, the third extreme to avoid: pursuing emotion as the goal, rather than knowing God. So what do I mean by this? So emotion toward God is good, and it is the normal response to knowing God, but knowing God is the goal. That's the goal. The goal isn't to work yourself up to an emotional experience. The goal is to know God. And in so doing, you will respond to him with love. But the extreme happens when the goal is to get to the emotion and the Christian loses sight of knowing God. Now I want to share some things that I've observed For some Christians, emotion is sometimes confused for a spiritual experience. I've observed that often when this is out of place, emotion becomes the goal rather than knowing God. And so what happens is Christians will seek out emotional experiences. They like the way it makes them feel. And so it becomes a a pressing need to continue to manufacture the emotion. And every time they feel the emotion, they believe they are close to God. And to be quite bold, I would say that this is a form of self-deceit. To think you're having a spiritual experience when it is just an emotional experience. This is being deceived. And perhaps there is even a worse danger The person could actually be having a spiritual experience, but it is not Christian. Well, I want to encourage you that this confusion of an emotional experience for a spiritual experience, it can be easily avoided if we keep the goal right. The goal is to know God and emotions follow. Follow. Sometimes emotions might not be there at all, and that's okay. Other times, emotions can even deceive us. So just keep the goal right to know God. And remember that every true spiritual experience must always be a result of knowing God and of growing in our knowledge and love for him. So to sum up this heading again, believers in Christ have a continual growing affection for God. So are you ready for this new year? It's already upon us. It's already here. I want to encourage you to make the effort this year to make the effort to learn something about God every single day. Remember where to find this knowledge of God in God's special revelation in the Bible. And remember the gospel, how Christ has made you right with God so that you can know him and then pursue knowing God every day. And then let your heart express emotion in response to knowing him. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you didn't just abandon us or leave us. You initiated. You sent your own son to die in our place. Thank you, Jesus, for willingly giving yourself up for us. Thank you that you didn't leave us to remain dead in our sins, but you quickened us to life. Through Christ, through our Savior, God, you you made us right with you. You made us your children. You gave us an inheritance. You gave us a family. You made us a part of the body of Christ. May we continue to seek to know you each and every day of our lives. And God, as we go through trials this year and those who may face suffering, may we cling to you. May we seek to know you better in the midst of our trials and sufferings. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Shannon.